Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, The Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Hi and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with The Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm your co-host Jeannie Rice along with Dr. Tim Hayes and we welcome you to the show. Today is Tuesday, December the 8th, 2015 and our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1 and that puts you in queue to talk to us and we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show and I believe we're going to pick up where we left off on Friday, aren't we Michael? Welcome. Thank you, sweetie, and that's the plan is to go back into the 12 steps. I'm not sure what happened to the clock yesterday. It was some kind of a time warp because I swore that probably I was speaking about the responsibility communication process for about 20 minutes, and all of a sudden the uh, show is ringing in my ear. Oh, time's up. So we'll go back to that tomorrow, and uh, we we may end up alternating a few more days. Who knows with the uh, with the 12-step work, which I think is going awesomely, getting uh, – reports from several people that are really benefiting Gail from the input that you've got and uh and Dave and Dr. Tim. Just uh lots of really powerful input and and an overview and understanding of the parallels and the way to uh to put the uh the two sets of tools together to enlarge the toolkit. So fabulous. Delighted to be here. Gail, how do you be young lady? I am well. I am well, thank okay. you. Wonderful. Anything new and exciting in your life? Um, nothing new and exciting to me. Well, okay, now that you mention it. Um <laughs> last week when I was doing the um doing the twelve steps, Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday I had such a high level of vitality and of course naturally by Thursday and Friday I hit a, a healing crisis. <laughs> so that is one, that is one new thing. You. Yeah, good for me. Next layer, right? <laughs> uh, well, that's what it's all about. And, you know, it, it's interesting. There's a new film out there that uh, Jean and I went to see. That's how we're uh, we're taking our intermissions from the intensity of uh, of what we're doing here between getting set up in the house and uh, and getting editing done. But um, we went to see, and, we, and, I, and I invite everyone who doesn't know what a healing crisis looks like or a healing process looks like to go and see the film, The Letters. And it's a... A story of the life of uh, Mother Teresa, uh, who has this experience of this super high vitality and direct communication from love, from the Creator. People would call it God, whatever word you want to use. 
I don't think love cares what you call it. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like one of my favorite sayings is call me anything but late for dinner. Acknowledge the presence of love in your life and you're acknowledging the creator. So here, Mother Teresa has this call and, you know, she's a school teacher. Uh, she's a cloistered nun. And all of a sudden she gets this direct communication, which means super high vitality as you're talking about. And a significant part of the rest of the film, aside from, you know, giving you a pretty good window on her work and some of the stuff she went through, some of the challenges she had, they introduce her spiritual advisor who has, and I've ordered them because they've now been published, a copy of all her letters to him. And what I realized, if you go back and you read the lives of many of the saints or the mystics, what you find is people who have this beatific experience, this full-blown white light experience to the extreme and stay in it. And then the rest of their lives is torture. And they, you know, they talk quite a bit in this film about Mother Teresa, who is doing this awesome, wonderful work based in love and is, I mean, it's really powerful space of love that she holds for things that would turn most people's stomachs. And yet in her letters to her spiritual advisor, she's describing this torture that she's going through. And of course, I've read about that sort of thing before with the mystics. And what clicked is, ah, I got it. What happens is when you get to that really, truly full-blown light experience, which is just beyond comprehension. You know, if you took the most delightful, awesome, fun, exciting, you know, sweet, wonderful experience you've ever had as a human, and then you multiplied it by the largest number you can imagine. You know, when you were kids, you played the game of oh, 100 quadrillion, million, billion, zillion, quadrillion, billion, you know. If you multiplied it by that, you wouldn't touch what that experience is. So here, Mother Teresa has that experience, transforms her life, and then she goes into process. And because she doesn't have the tool of forgiveness, her healing crisis just goes on and on and on and on. Without the awareness of what the symptoms of healing look like, people stay in it forever. The mystics, these tortured lives, and what they're being tortured by is the content of their own carbon-based memory, their own generational patterns. That there's the vitality to start to move it, but because they don't know how to crack it open, they get stuck in it. And a lot of people have you know, rejected the mystical experience because I don't want to go into that kind of torture. And what's happening is they're stepping in with the opening and the opportunity to clean up a thousand generations of insanity that's gone before them. The hate, the fear, the rage, the guilt, the quote-unquote demons that have plagued their generations. And it just it just was like a, a big opening for me to watch this and realize, ah, that's what the mystics are describing as being tortured. They're in a major healing crisis, and because they don't know what drives their perception that is tortured, they don't know how to collapse it and go in and clean it up. An interesting view, and uh, I was going to share that on the show at some point today, but you certainly created the opening when you talked about, you know, along about day four, you go into a major healing process. 
And isn't it awesome that when we do step into that, and, and I can remember times when in the early days and I didn't really understand what was going on and a, a healing process would open and would go on for days. And now the same healing process or perhaps a more intense one will open and I can be done with it in 10 minutes because I know how to do it now. I have the tools. These people didn't have first century Aramaic forgiveness. And so these things just went on forever. So it is nice to have the tools, isn't it, Yell? It is. It is, for sure. Yes. And thank you for that piece as well. I mean, knowing now that, you know, even Mother Teresa, suffer, you know, uh, dealt with this and, and suffered. Wow. So that, that helps. That helps a lot. We only suffer. Yeah, there's no demon that can make us suffer. What what the Greeks ended up calling demons or evil spirits is simply the mind energy of generational patterns. That's where the torture comes from. And knowing how to crack it and remove it, forgive it, is just, you know, monumental. Agreed. Agreed. I'm grateful to be on the team, and I'm grateful to be able to offer another piece. (laughs) So am I. Let me just, while we're on that topic, let's let's see if Dr. Tim has any thoughts about that. Tim? Okay. Which one? Just the whole thought of what was happening with the mystics. I'm sure you've probably read some of those things where these people are living these tortured lives. Does that fit for you? Does that make sense for you? Yes, absolutely. And as you were talking, it was even making more sense. You know, for years in my studies and readings, I've heard about people who had these peak emotional experiences or enlightenment moments or gifts, whatever you want to call it, and then they end up living in a broken body. You know, car accidents that leave them in chronic pain, debilitating chronic diseases, you know, and and they just keep going. Mayor Baba and Krishnamurti and all these people, many, many that I've read about, um, I forget the name of the book, but I read one recently where I talked about it a year or so ago on the show, and this uh, monk who was just, he worked in the kitchen, and became enlightened. And there he was in the last years of his life, racked in pain and physical pain, and they would go to comfort him and he would say, "No, no, I'm I'm leave me here. I'm I'm offering up my suffering." Yeah, so let me just no, suffer. I, well, I'm doing it for God, God or whatever. So yeah. And and with the understanding that I've been building over the last 20 years or so, breaking out of the mold of thinking. I mean, I was raised in a Catholic tradition that had you, um, every time you were going through some kind of pain, we were told, offer it up for the poor souls in purgatory. Uh, literally. Stay there, suffer. You know, you're kneeling on the floor because... There aren't any padded kneelers left, so you're kneeling on the floor and your knees are hurting, and it's, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes into it, and there's pain shooting up your legs, and you're told just, you know, suffer it and and offer it up for the poor souls in purgatory. 
So as I was listening to you talk about it, the little light bulbs are going on saying, you know what, I'll bet that's more the case, that this is a situation where people were... A, a lot of spiritual traditions say you can't storm the gates because my physical body in this moment doesn't have the vitality that could actually contain or survive experiencing the level of energy that it's ultimately capable of experiencing. It isn't vibrating at a high enough frequency. And when I get exposed to those higher level frequencies, if I'm not eating right, in good physical shape, in good mental and emotional shape, and armed with the tools to get rid of the energies that don't belong, all I'm going to experience is an intense activation of a lot of negative energies that don't belong in my system, which we call symptoms. And so that light bulb was going off for me that perhaps a lot of these people who have suffered and suffered in silence and been the great saints and martyrs because they tolerate so much with a smile or they suffer through it, perhaps there's another way. And I think it's great that well, I, they that they don't get negative about their symptoms. And at the same time, wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a way for them to actually process through the energy and be relieved of the symptoms? Yeah, I think in that context of that story about offered up for the souls in purgatory, they'd probably be a whole lot happier and better off if we offered aliveness, joy, creativity than suffering, pain, and trauma. You know, it's just like the, the whole root of the idea of sympathy is suffer with somebody as opposed to being the space and holding the space of love. And I think that was Brother Lawrence that you were talking about that experienced his enlightenment while washing dishes. And, and yeah, if we can't process what needs to be processed, it's going to express in the battleground of the body. It's going to express symptomatically. So probably Gail has the answer as to exactly how long when somebody gets into the 12-step program they have to do their work to be cured, to be finished with it. Was it a year, two years, Gail? It took about two years to get through the steps the first time, but I continually work the rest of the steps every day. I, I work all the steps every day. You mean in that first two years you you weren't finished? No, I was not finished after I, two I mean, years. I was I was not cured. <laughs> <laughs> I was not cured at all. Come on, you've seen my um you know my personal coach evaluation <laughs> scores when I first met you. <laughs> no, I was I'm not just finished. Being a wise guy. <laughs> And there are people who, who have knocked me when they say, well, you've been doing this for 45 years and you're not finished yet? No, not finished yet. Well, there must be something wrong with this. No, no, it's called a process. And when you realize, and I forget exactly the number, but, you know, in, in 30 generations of your bloodline, if you sit down with a pen and paper, in 30 generations of your bloodline, there's over 1.7 billion people. 30 generations, 1.7 billion. You know, one yourself, one generation back to two generations, four, eight, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256, 512, 1,024. doesn't take long to get up to a billion, and that's how many there are in 30 generations. And that's what we're talking about, inviting people in to clean up, because that 
genetic structure that they used to say was junk, the part of the genes that was junk, and originally they were saying over 90% of our genes are junk, the DNA is junk. It's not junk, it's the most exquisite database that ever existed. It carries every thought, every feeling, every reality from every generation. And if your so-called body, your multi-generational database, your body is going to be a fit instrument with which you incarnate the active presence of love, then you're going to have to clean out of it what is which that which is unlike love. And you start thinking about, you know, the ignorance that in this modern, enlightened day and age we live in, you know, we still live in a world where in the last 75 years we've killed over 275 million people in war. Not much enlightenment there. You know, what do you suppose life was, life was like on most of the planet five generations ago, ten generations ago? When Genghis Khan stocked the earth, what do you suppose it was like? What do you suppose it was like when the Han dynasty was murdering off the, the competing dynasties? You know, it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, when you think about that's born and bred in all of us, and to really, truly incarnate a human life, and for anybody who's new to the show, we have a simple definition for a human life, hold a newborn child, and you know exactly what a human life is. It is clearly this awesome active presence of love. And we are meant to inhabit this form our whole lives long as the active presence of love. And the only thing that will ever inhibit us from doing that is the generational content that never belonged in the human life in the first place and to have the courage to face and clean up that database is quite a quite a piece of work and uh the the form of that work that we're tying in with the first century Aramaic forgiveness work we spent the whole week if you weren't on the show last week we spent uh all week on from Monday to Friday on the 12 step program a program for cleaning up this multi-generational database and coming out the other side as intact human beings. And I understand Magda has her hand up. Magda, do you have a comment for us on the 12-step program? Is Magda there? Oh, hi. Oh, hi. Hey there, young lady. Hi. Welcome. Hi there. Uh, I called in because you had talked to me the other day about calling in on Tuesday. This is Tuesday, right? Um, for no. um, the responsibility communication. Oh, actually, uh, it was Monday that we did the responsibility communication, and uh, we're we're carrying well, on I with the. I hear uh, that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, then I well, misunderstood. I thought you said Tuesday. Okay. But anyway, we are okay. going to pick it up again well, tomorrow. Um, so, I ended up spending the whole hour yesterday. And you have Gail there right now, right? Right. We're going to pick up the responsibility communication again tomorrow. We didn't get through it yesterday, but we had, you know, yeah. uh, said, announced last week that we'd we'd do the responsibility communication yesterday and that we'd pick up the 12 step today. So, so if there's space tomorrow, it'd be awesome to hear from me because we're going to be back on responsibility communication. Great, I'll do that. I do have one little comment to add to what you've been saying about 
uh, being a martyr and, and putting up with the pain and offering it up and all of that. I was also brought up as a Catholic, so I understand those concepts. And I really love, uh, and I want to pass on what my friend Sunny, you met Sunny, what she says is, let me do everything, learn all my lessons, whatever I need to do with joy and ease. (laughs) And I'm going, yeah, that really is a great intention. So um, I just want to pass that on. And then I'll call back tomorrow, okay? Okay. Appreciate you. Blessings. Okay. Hi, Gail. Blessings, everybody. Bye-bye. So, Gail, I'm going to turn it back over to you, young lady. Go for it. What do you have in yes, mind? Sir. Good to hear from you, Magda. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, what do I have on my mind? Uh, I wanted to offer, as long as we're on this topic of um, talking about the, the pain of the spiritual awakening and not being able to have the tools to um, go through this pain-free, is um, uh, Bill Wilson as well went through a lot of pain. He had a bright light spiritual experience, which enabled him to maintain sobriety or get sober. And he worked the rest of the tenants of um, the Oxford group um, that did not make him immune to working those tenants. And then he developed and then was a part of writing the book, Alcoholics Anonymous and being a co-founder of this movement. He still suffered. And he talks quite a bit about his depression And um, he finally, I think about 22 years of sobriety, he got to a place of, hey, I can work the steps on my depression as well. And so he started to do that and relieve himself of his depression. So there are modern day sages as well that have suffered. And um, that puts a really good light on to people that I've put on the pedestal like Jerry Hicks who died of cancer who I was in extreme judgment of this summer, and as well as um, the passing of Ron Roth, who is one of my other spiritual um, gurus that I, I have sought through. I thought, you know, both of their suffering, I, I judged harshly, but now I understand um, why. Well, Mike, I, you know, two things. One would be, there is no pain or suffering in the spiritual experience or spiritual awakening. Uh, that's a misnomer. The spiritual awakening or the spiritual experience takes us to a level of vitality where we can't hide the suffering anymore. But it's not caused by or any inherent part of the suffering experience. Now, the, the non-being world has a rule that says no pain, no gain. Uh, my rule is no pain, no pain. And if there's pain there, then you're going to get to deal with it. And by being vitalized through the spiritual experience, you're going to have the vitality then to bring out of hiding that which you've been hiding from yourself. And my uh, experience of working with any kind of addiction is that the addictive substances and, and, you know, in, in, the work that I've developed in the 12 step or pardon me, in the codependence to interdependence workshop, we define addiction as the compulsive use of any person, place, substance, or activity to one, not listen to or follow our higher guidance or the spiritual experience. That's one use for addictive substances. 
And the other one is to anesthetize pain. So the spiritual experience gives the vitality to start to access and, and dig out the garbage that never belonged. And, of course, as with the mystics we were talking about, if one doesn't know how and doesn't have the tools, if you don't have a shovel, it's going to be pretty tough to dig a deep well. And so if you've got a uh, power drill on a crane, you're going to dig a well pretty quickly. And the tools that, by and large, have been available have been pretty much, well, you know, we don't really know what's going on here, but here, tell you what, why don't you just go ahead and suffer and give it to God? God is love, and God will really enjoy your suffering. It's like, come on, give me an intermission here. That's insane. But it was the best explanation they had. First century Aramaic forgiveness, what Yeshua came to offer people was a huge drilling rig (laughs) to dig that well, to drop down into the dissociated parts of the mind, bring them forward in the presence of love and process through them. You don't have to hang around in suffering for longer than you're unwilling to do your work. And the work is, and the suffering is caused by the content of carbon-based memory, not by God. People have made up a story that it's all God's fault. You know, God's, going to punish you, and that's all just pure garbage made up by people who didn't know any better, who were ignorant and did not understand. And so as we undo ignorance and come to understand, oh, I have a tool. I can do something with this. And that's the whole idea of the process. Understood, and thank you for clarifying and tweaking that for me. Cool. Um, cool. I will. How about I recap what we talked about last Let's week, real quick, yeah, and we will continue sure, go on. For it. And okay. I, think I think I wanted to just, add that. Just... Go ahead. Go ahead. We've got a little bit of overlap here, so go ahead. I'll be <laughs> silent here. <laughs> I think um, doing the responsibility communication at this point um, is excellent because the next thing I was going to talk about is the men's process, which looks similar, believe it or not, to the responsibility communication. But I'll recap first, and we will move forward. Um, what we talked about last week are the steps. We got up to step seven on Friday. Um with a little side note about what sarcasm really is, and thank you for that piece as well. <laughs> but anyway, um, step one, it basically is um, I can't think, or I can't drink and I can't think. It's a two-part step. And um, Step two is about doing something different. Step three is a decision to finish the rest of the steps. Step four is writing down on a piece of paper what our thinking looks like, um, looking at um, – how we put ourselves in a position to be hurt. Um, We address our resentments, fear, sex, conduct, and harms to others in the fourth step. In step five, we admit the exact nature of our wrongs to God, to ourselves, and to another human being. And we talk about our thinking errors. In step six, we become willing to get rid of those thinking errors, which are called character defects in step six. And we ask ourselves this very simple question, are we ready to let go of everything that we see that is objectionable? Um, Those are the things that we looked at in in step four and talked about in step five. And in step seven, 
we give those things up to God. Um, it says we humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. Character defects and shortcomings are, are similar. They're errors in thought. Um, if our aim is to be loving and we are short on love, that is a shortcoming. Um, if our aim is to be tolerant and we are intolerant, that is a shortcoming because we're short on tolerance or we're short on patience or we're short on love. I wanted to also share our seventh-step prayer um, that is in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a suggested prayer. It's a very, um, it, and it's not prayer by the definition of to capture God. It is more of a request um, of God, and it goes like this. Um, our Creator, I offer my, no, I'm sorry, that's the wrong one. Our Creator, take me both good and bad. Take away from me every single defect of character that blocked me off from you and my fellows. Oh. And the rest of it is um, grant me strength to do your bidding. And just a very simple, simple prayer, very powerful prayer. On some days, I don't know what a character de- what character defects are blocking me off from God. And some days, a character defect can be a character asset. It just depends on how I use it. And so that prayer, I believe, is very perfect because it's asking me, asking God to take me both good and bad and to take away everything that blocks me off. So I wanted to offer that. And with that offering, did, perfect. did, you, have any, did you have any comments at all until... Before we move on, to right, on right on track, right on okay. track, and it ties right in with the step of, uh, you know, five uh, B, where I ask Rika for support in opening the space to come back into conscious relationship with all dissociated content and clean it out. It's just exactly on track. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, eight. Or what I said on Friday is that there's two coupling steps. There's six and seven. Um, six is we become willing. Seven is we do. Eight and nine are similar, ma- similarly matched up with that. With eight, we become willing, and nine, we do. And um, I love it when you talk about willingness being the cosmic grief. G- grief. Grief. <laughs> and also when you mention that in, in your book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again, I very much appreciate it that discussion with about willingness as well. So I wanted to add that. Um, in step eight, what we do is we make a list of all people we have harmed and become willing to make amends to them all. That list of people that we have harmed comes out of our four step. Um, mostly, most likely all the people that I listed that I had resentments against, all the objects of fear, and also people that we're on my sex conduct list and, and harms done to other lists will end up on my eight step list. Um, it's an ongoing list. Sometimes I take people off the list after I make them in. Sometimes I add people to the list as I continue to act out of selfishness, self-centered fear or non-being mind, as you say. Um, and so becoming willing to make amends to them all for me is to constantly pray for that willingness. And I have willingness to make amends to every person on my list except for one. (laughs) And that person would be my stepfather. And um, 
in preparation for thinking about what I'm going to say about this step, I started to do worksheets on him and to because I'm getting to deeper and deeper realization that my resentment against him is harming me because I'm living with the chemistry in my own body. So that is a process in the making there. So any comments before I go to step nine? Oh, just nice catch on that one to recognize that the, the original of it, you know, it's in my own form and that resentment is something I need to forgive, remove from myself. It's, is the key to the whole process. Uh, does that mean that I have to approve of everything that anybody or everybody's ever done? No, not in the least. But it does mean that I I am willing to remove literally my capacity for resentment, for anger, for hatred, for fear, so that I can stand in the space of love, maintain my human life, no matter what anybody else is doing. And then, of course, carry on with the work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, step nine is um, uh, made a made direct amends to such people, except when wherever possible would harm them or others. And this would be the case. One of the perfect examples would be to make amends to um, somebody that you cheated on, because that would harm them, and it would also harm the person that you cheated on them with. And it talks extensively. Um, For instance, I had a really good friend that cheated on his wife and his brother by sleeping with his his brother's wife. (laughs) He's not going to go to his brother and say, hey, I I slept with your wife, you know, but I'm really sorry (laughs) for doing that. Um, and also that that would have not only harmed his brother, it would have harmed his brother's wife as well. So that was that's one example. It talks extensively about uh, making amends in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's about timing, and it also says wherever possible. Um, and the wording there, opposed to whenever possible. Saying wherever possible invites God into the process. It's it's about prudent timing. It's about in, in inviting God into the process, not making amends out of ego or self-centered fear. And that's what I've done my whole life. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'd like to apologize for doing this, but my my behavior hasn't changed. And I believe that's why... 8 and 9 are where 8 and 9 are that we need to change before we start to pursue the process of amends because I've apologized because I've had other things on my agenda um, to get something else out of somebody instead of being genuinely apologetic or wanting to make amends. And I also wanted to capitalize on the word amend instead of um, apology or saying I'm sorry. Um, The word amend means to change the relationship as an amendment to the Constitution changes the Constitution or making an amend in a piece of clothing changes the clothing or strengthens the clothing. Um, making an amend in a relationship changes the relationship and hopefully 99% of the time makes that relationship stronger. So I believe that 
there is a process between steps one through eight that makes step nine possible and definitely with the the invite of God into that process and, and using one's intuition in order to, to make those amends. So any comments before I go into the wording um, that I've learned in, in, in the amends process? No, go for it, please. Okay. What I was taught um, and most recently, once again, this is a skill set, kind of like step five is a skill set. Um, to listen to somebody else's fourth step um, and, and fifth step, it, uh, making amends is a process. And there were specific words that my current sponsor gave me. Um, I did a sponsorship change five years ago and um, went back through the steps with her. And she very much capitalized on, on the words and, and, um, which was a huge gift for me because I wasn't, I'm one of those people that needs to be given the words and, and to make those words my own. And um, the the main um, words to focus on is when I make amends to people is the admittance of wrong. I was wrong. I regret um, is the other word instead of being I'm sorry or I apologize. Um, expressing regret instead of having guilt, shame, and remorse, there's a difference between guilt, shame, and remorse and regret. I regret that I behaved this way or I regret the harm that I imposed upon you. And the next important idea to convey is how can I make this right? The the willingness to get right is very important. Um, letting go of the self-justification and the reasons why I did it and, and and what they did in the mix and taking total and complete responsibility for what I did. So, and, and staying on my side of the street, so to speak. And, um, and that at that point in time, how can I make this right is an invitation to, for me to listen to everything that they have to say to express their side of it and also to be given the opportunity to make that right and then from there um, negotiate on the best course of action to be taken to make it right. My, My input there is that oftentimes... I think this is a place where people try to figure it out. And I consider that to be the number one pseudo solution of the non-being mind, if I could just figure out. And and I think that a a really powerful place to go in this step that, you know, that this work can, can deliver to that step is to really truly be in the space of the love exchange where love is fully conscious, active and present in one or both or whatever number of people are involved in it. And that that active presence of love can make things right that in a million years a hurt mind could never figure out or never come up with. The the energetic dynamic of the miracle happens in that space when love is conscious, active and present, rather than it being, you know, a negotiation. 
it's just to me the effort to bring this is the space to it, it kind of ties in with step four of the of the worksheet of I, I choose to, to tap into my newborn state that active presence of love and function is that and when I am you know preferably the person I perhaps have a conflict with can bring that forward it just opens doors that can't be fathomed by the intellect Understood. Understood. A lot of people think it's just about an apology, and I wanted to offer what I I have learned with this step. Um, And the other thing that I wanted to offer, too, is when going through the worksheet in in Florida, and um, I was like, where's the immense process in this? And, And Joel turned around and said, the immense process is when we offer a goal to them in the seventh step and absolutely right and then when you did the responsibility communication process and Sarah did it with and I can't remember the name of the other girl that she did it with and we went through that sheet I saw the men's process throughout that sheet as well and most definitely I have used that um to add to the immense process when I've been in a position to be able to, or I should say the honor and ability to, um, okay, uh, opportunity to make amends to somebody else. That has definitely been something, um, it's been an added tool for sure. I think that um, both step four in the seven step worksheet where I choose to tap in, where I bring forward that active presence of love, is a big part of the amends process and the to me the word amends there means healing as well that there's going to that, that there's going to be a a reorganization of my energy system which will then source things in a higher way and literally a reorganization of the energy system of the person that I'm interacting with and when that reorganization occurs oftentimes the thing that was the big deal. I mean, one of the most common comments that I get when people get to step 6C in the worksheet and they they're looking at how do I how do I see this situation I started out working with in step 1 now and they're like, you know, I can't believe that my mind actually believed that that was such a big deal because it's silly now. But you watch somebody going into the front end of the forgiveness process or the front end of an amends process, and they're ready to tear somebody's eyes out over this issue. It's so emotionally charged for them. But they have no idea that they're ready to tear somebody's eyes out because of the emotion in themselves. And when they go through the forgiveness process and forgive, remove that emotion, all of a sudden they look back at that exact same thing. It's like, well, it was so silly to be upset about that. That's the the healing process that to me is so powerful when I cancel my goal and I invite Ruka in to, to uh, rearrange the energy system. That's where the, the real power and the healing occurs. So I see both of those, that step four in the worksheet of bringing love present and then Step seven, where I create a loving goal that I'm willing to offer to them. 
are both to be part of the amends process. And in between is the healing process that opens a space for both people. Agreed. Well okay. said. <laughs> cool. Yep, yep. All right. So. Well, anything else on step nine? I I believe I'm complete on step nine, and I think that is, cool. it just goes along perfect with the responsibility communication that was brought forward yesterday, and I look forward to being able to hear what happens tomorrow on the show with the examples I think that you're going to have. You're going to have people call in for that. So um, we could continue the rest of the steps real quick. and Yeah, let's go for it. Step 10 is um, we continue to take personal inventory, and when we are wrong, promptly admitted it. Um, As you'd mentioned earlier, how long did it take you to go through the steps initially? Well, two years. Um, Am I still making mistakes? Am I done? No, (laughs) I'm not done. And And I really appreciate this step and the fact that Bill Wilson had the the intuition to include this step. Um. Among, along with the, the six tenants to close the gaps for us alcoholics and for others as well because continue to make mistakes and and I need to look at those mistakes and one of the things that I learned um, from the Aramaic forgiveness process and one of the things that enables me to do a spot check inventory is if I'm doing anything or reacting to anything that is less than love, then it's on me. And and that enables me to get back into being the space of love and and to make corrections as quickly as possible. And there are directions in the big book about how to do step 10. And it's basically four through nine every single day. Um, there are two schools of thought about that. And um, some people think that it's four through nine every single day. Some people also think it, it's one through nine every single day. And quite frankly, it doesn't matter. Just do it, you know, it is what is what my thoughts are. And um, but I have a tendency to lean towards the, the one through nine every single day thought process. And the reason why I say that is because of the writings in the 12 and 12, which is um, – a book that was solely written by Bill Wilson 15 years after he got sober. And its intent was to introduce the 12 traditions. Um, he added, uh, he added essays about the steps to offer his experience 15 years later to, to the big book. And he talks about, extensively re- restrain a pen and tongue, you know, delay taking action before you get to that inventory process. And for me, you know, I I need to take a step back before I react and realize that I am powerless over whatever is going on, um, that my life is unmanageable because I my thinking is, is an error and that I need to do something different in step two and I need to make a decision to, to go through with the rest of the steps and then to inventory that and 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 talk about it to somebody else if i if i did do something wrong when i figure out what i what the exact nature of my wrongs was when i do that spot check inventory or, or write something down on paper and then to give those character defects up 
responsible and then to right whatever wrong that I did. So that is what step 10 is about. And then the fifth instruction that they give in in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is about um, resolutely helping others. Is after we have we have harmed somebody and have made amends um, that we go out and and help somebody else, help another alcoholic start thinking about start thinking about other people. So that is step ten. Right. Right. That's powerful and. You know, the invitation's always there to share the tools with others, so that fits well with what we've developed in the uh, in the Why Is This Happening to Me Again work. And for me, as I look at the tenth step, I think that the uh, wake up sheet, the reality management wake up uh, sheet, is the perfect tool for the tenth step: ongoing okay. personal inventory and resolution of issues. So if somebody, you know, when, when we get people started on the uh, wake up sheet. We usually suggest they do five a day for the first 40 days. And we've had people carry that tradition on in their lives for decades that they do. It's just part of their lives. Just like they wash their face every day, they wash their minds every day. And they go through the process of forgiveness, you know, five times a day every day. And that's really going through the whole process and taking the inventory and then cleaning out whatever you find there. And as one undoes block to truth, new issues, new perspectives show up. And I, I, I notice there's a lot of focus on the word wrong there. And I, I, I like to help people to shift that focus a little bit to recognize that, you know, the position that I'm in right now and what I did, what I did that seemed so wrong might actually be the thing that delivers me to healing and so maybe it wasn't wrong, but it wasn't the highest and best choice at the moment. And and to put it in the category of, well, for my my true spiritual journey, living as an alive, awake, aware human being, perhaps this was a necessary step. There were certainly higher ways I could have done it. So maybe it was not right, but when I give it a uh, a categorical wrong, I can tend to lock myself into that pattern. And to me, the whole idea is to unlock myself from the patterns that don't su- su- support the expression of my true human life of aliveness, of joy, of creativity, and of love in my life, compassion. So the letting go of a little bit of the positive wrongs and, okay, so that wasn't the highest and best choice. So now I'm going to make a new choice. I'm going to clean that one up, I think, opens a, a different quality of energetic space. Agreed. Cool. Cool. So we're at step 11 then. We've got two we're more steps. Step 11. Ten minutes. Yay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Five minutes apiece. Um, step, step 11 is we continue through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand God, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Um, uh, Bill Wilson gives three suggestions i believe in step 11 and when he wrote the big book and that was to have contact with god at night to, in reviewing our day and also have contact with god in the morning in order to um to ask for guidance for our day and also in times of irritation or in question to stop take a pause and connect 
uh, one of the prayers that he suggests um, he Bill Wilson knew that he was not a spiritual giant, and he was knew that he was walking on pretty thin ice with suggestions of spiritual direction to go in. And so he kept things very vague here, and I'm grateful that he did um, to allow others to grow in the direction that they see fit after they get to step 11. And definitely I'm grateful that step 11 is where step 11 is because we need to make all these changes and, and one through 11, I mean, one through 10 to clear, clear the path um, in order to connect to God better. Um, I describe it when I talk to um, people that I um, sponsor is that we start out with maybe a black and white antenna TV connection going on Um like I remember only getting three channels in the 70s trying to watch Gilligan's Island and going to, after working the steps and continuing to work the steps, especially the inventory, we able to get to, you know, Blu-ray, Dolby surround sound when it comes to having a connection with God. And, and we're able to allow God to direct our minds instead of self self centered um fear directing our minds. Think, and go ahead. I think a really important step in or or piece to understand in that place is the first century Aramaic definition of the word prayer, and that is to set a trap for God, to be the space where love shows up. And I, I think that is, is so on target. You start the morning and you breathe and you step into that connected space of love. Before you go to sleep at night, the last thing you do is appreciation and step into that active space of love. And then it becomes a habit. And I can remember as a kid being told, there'll come a time when your whole life will become a prayer. And, you know, at that time in my world, prayer was you're down on your hands and knees. And it's like the only thing I could imagine out of that was square knees. Mm-hmm. Where now I understand that what Yeshua was talking about is prayer. And if you listen to the Lord's Prayer, it's not a prayer. What people call the Lord's Prayer is not a prayer. It's an instruction on how to become the space where active love shows up in the world. So to get to the point where we're in constant contact with that active presence of love, to me, is the focus of the whole body of work in this step to live there 24-7, 365, ultimately. And, you know, that it just becomes the, the energetic space that we're plugged into continuously. And then to recognize the only thing that will unplug us from that space is our own hostility or fear. And so if somebody comes along that activates our hostility and fear, oops, there's my next piece of work. Oh, thank you, friend. Or what yesterday I might have called enemy for showing me that. I didn't know I had that in me. There's my next piece of work. There's the thing that inhibits me functioning as the space of love. And it just opens a whole different doorway. Agreed. Agreed and thank you. One of the, one of the prayers, um, putting that in air quotes, that he suggests is the one by St. Francis of Assisi. Um Yes. Where where I so hatred helped me to so love, and I can't quote the rest of it right now. But um, for that, there's injury, that pardon. The, yes, yes, yeah. yes. And you know, so that is one of the suggested rec- prayers. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's an awesome, powerful prayer. It's uh, it's powerfully spoken by Saint Teresa in, or Mother Teresa in the uh, that movie that I was talking about earlier, The Letters. It's uh, she speaks it, and it's it's quite powerful in in her process and in her life. And to uh, to recognize that the whole process becomes that of doing our work. And it's a continuous, ongoing opening to deeper and deeper experiences of literally the presence of love in every cell of our structure. So we're plugged into that continuously. And, of course, once you do that, the 12 steps kind of natural, you're going to extend that to others. Absolutely. A, a little side note, people consider um, pursuing their spiritual, separate spiritual path to be their 11th step. I consider um, becoming uh, one of the first things that I did after I got to step 11 um, was to become a Reiki master he, teacher. That was a part, a part of my 11th step process. And believe it or not, oh. that 11th step, that, that, brought me to you, um, the gentleman that introduced me to Reiki, actually I was doing a home daycare and I had three moms that were second-level Reiki practitioners. So I thought that was a hint uh-huh. <laughs> that maybe this was something uh-huh. to pursue. So the gentleman that attuned me to Reiki 1 and Reiki 2 um, introduced me to Celebrating Life Ministries, which was a an organization that was started by Ron Roth, um, who was he was a born healer. And um, from listening to Celebrating Life Ministries on a, a teleconference, I was introduced to Dale Allen Hoffman. <laughs> and from Dale Allen Hoffman, I was introduced to you. So I consider being a part of Celebrating Life Ministries, being a part of knowing Dale Allen Hoffman and being taught to do toning and, and Aramaic and and being introduced to um, what the, the real words are and 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 the real meanings and and the possibilities of who Mary Magdalene was is um and Yeshua learning his true name and then being led to you and studying under you I consider all that to be a part of my 11th step. Right. Cool. And then the next step and we're down to just the last minute or so of course okay. is to it, invite it, others invite others into the process, right? Yes, um, there's three parts to the 12th step, and that is to have a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps is one of it. I feel like I have a spiritual awakening every day. The second part is to carry the message to others and to practice these principles in all of our affairs, to carry the message to others. And AA terminology is to share experience, strength, and hope, to teach people how to work the steps, to be a tour guide through the AA literature and to introduce them to God. That is the message. And to practice these principles in all of our affairs is to work the steps in every area of our life. Awesome. I think I did that under 30 se- or 60 seconds. <laughs> you did. You did. And so we are down to just the last few seconds. And much, much I'm grateful for this opportunity. To, uh, yeah, we're going to uh, do a bit of a poll and decide what day of the week we're going to turn into uh, recovery and healing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, which and 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 keep this conversation centered in that direction. And beyond that, we appreciate you. Thank you for all your input this week. And everybody, 
create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Bye-bye.